0: Good evening. The last seven words that the world ever spoke to Jesus in his public ministry were the last seven words that we hear from the lips of one who derided the whole work of the cross when he said, he saved others, he cannot save himself. Those are the last words of the world to our Lord in his public ministry. And I think it summarizes the disbelief and the derision of the world regarding Christ. But praise God, the world doesn't have the last say. And we meet those wonderful first seven words of Easter Sunday, He is not here, He is risen. Amen. And those are the words that absolutely form and transform our existence as a Christian. Apostle Paul says, without the resurrection... Our faith is futile. Paul says, without the resurrection, we are still in our sins. Paul says, without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we will be pitied more than all men. And for all preachers, future preachers in our midst, without the resurrection of Christ, all preaching is useless. And so here we are on this side of the resurrection Uh, sin and death have been vanquished, the saints have been redeemed. The rejected cornerstone has become the chief cornerstone. He is the resurrection of life. He holds the keys of death and hell. And yet, despite all of those truths, our disciples in our texts are found behind locked doors, locked and barred doors for fear of the Jews. Now, I have preached, in fact, on this text, I must have preached this text four times here in Estes Chapel. But never, don't worry, not a repeat. Uh, But I've never preached on the locked doors. And I think it's actually helpful tonight to recognize that even though we live on this side of Easter, this side of the empty tomb, we can still live behind locked doors and not be able to be released for the ministries that God has called you to. And so I want to just briefly highlight three reasons why the disciples are behind locked doors. It's found in the three verses of our text. First, in verse 19, we're told they're behind locked doors because of fear. So I love the song that we sang, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I'm a child of God. We're told in verse 19 that they were afraid of the Jews. They had all of these fears and yet... Those fears were displaced when Jesus came into their midst. He said, the presence of Christ, which dispels our fears. I, I was thinking back, what is the, what is, when was I the most afraid in my entire life? And in my case, I can actually name the exact time and day when I was the scaredest I'd ever been in my life, before or since. It was March 24th. 1999. I was leading a group of students, and that time I was at Gordon-Conwell, and I was leading a group of students. uh, We were teaching every year in Bosnia, and we had uh, probably 10 students with us, and it was my job one night to drive them back to the Bible College where we were supposed to be back, and at some point, I made a wrong turn, and I ended up driving my colleague, Peter Kuzmich, who's from that region but was sound asleep, which is why I was driving, and all the students into Serbia on March 24th, 1999. If you know the story, that is the night that the Allies chose to begin bombing Serbia. We suddenly realized we were in a bombing zone. In fact, we, I learned later that there were 38,000 combat missions flown over Serbia in a very short period of time and they were, uh, their priority was actually on the border where we were, uh, knocking out all the bridges, and we had just crossed one. <laughs> and when we woke up, when my colleague woke up and realized we were in Serbia, and he was fearless, I saw fear uh, come across his face. From the radio, uh, it was anti-American propaganda uh, on the radio. We knew if we were caught, we were over, and yet we had the greatest fear of the American allies, the precision bombing, not counting all the cruise missiles. And during that frightful time, uh, God gave us grace, and we were probably in uh, the territory about an hour and a half before we got back into Bosnia, which is mostly Islamic. I never forget, one of the students, uh, when he saw the mosque uh, denoting the border of Bosnia, he said, praise God, there's a mosque one of those things out of context. <laughs> but I was reminded of the story because just a few days ago, I was in the Lexington airport and I ran into one of the students that was in the, the car that night, the van. We, we recounted this whole memory, of course. And um, he asked, what is he doing? And he said, well, I'm now a, a, an army chaplain. And he said, it's amazing because that night when we encountered that fear I realized the power of fear to open us to new dimensions in God. And he told me, he said, you know, today, as a chaplain, he said, I do most of my ministry in the back of a Humvee. Humvee, of course, are these new vehicles, you know, that they're that's now used by the military in these very dangerous zones. And he says, and they're, of course, configured between four, six, or nine soldiers in these Humvees. And he'll offer a service in the back of the Humvee. And he said, you know, it's pretty normal if you have nine people in a Humvee, maybe or six, maybe one or two will come back. And he said to me, if you have two people on the back of a Humvee and they want a service, you're really limited to what you can do. It's hard to preach to two people and they are not gonna sing. <laughs> he said, but you can give them the Eucharist. And he said, I found that giving Eucharist to a young 20-year-old in the back of a Humvee who knows any minute he might die, that opens up all kinds of opportunities for them to receive the presence of Christ. So graduates, there may be times when you're in fear, but let the presence of Jesus walk into your midst, as he did our disciples that night. Secondly, they didn't recognize who Jesus really was. That's why they're behind locked doors. They were still wondering in doubts in verse 20, it says he showed them his hands and his side. He showed them that he was, in fact, the risen Lord. The Bible is full of examples of what I call mistaken identity, where people didn't recognize who Jesus was. I mean, take, for example, the two on the road to Emmaus. Remember Cleopas and his friend. They, they thought Jesus was just another fellow traveler along the road. They didn't realize they were walking right next to the risen Lord. But, number, how do they recognize him? They recognized him in the breaking. breaking of the bread. They recognized him. We also, of course, remember the story of Caesarea Philippi where they're gathered together. Who do men say that I am? Some say you're Elijah, some say you're uh, Jer- Isaiah, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. You see, a lot of people just think, Jesus, just another prophet. But Jesus is much more than a prophet. Who do you say that I am? You're the Christ, the Son, the living God. See my hands. See my side. See, Jesus is demonstrating he is the risen Lord that will dispel all fears. Mary Magdalene in the garden, John 20, we're told she mistook him for a gardener. She had no idea that it was the risen Lord. On the road to Emmaus, It was in the deeds that they finally recognized all the words that Christ spoke on that whole trip. They didn't recognize who he was, but in the deeds, the broken bread, they recognized him. With Mary, just one word, Mary, just the word Mary, she instantly recognized who he was. Part of our ministry is to always remember the true dignity and majesty of Jesus Christ as the risen Lord. I want to remind you, those who are guests and and, uh, friends with us, I want you to look at our Eucharist table, because when we renovated our chapel, one of the things we wanted to do was change this table, because our table was like so many around the country and the world, it said, do this in remembrance of me. Now there's nothing wrong with that, we believe that, we just believe a lot more than that. We didn't want to simply come to the table remembering something that happened 2,000 years ago. We wanted to come to the table remembering that we come to the table and we actually meet with the risen Christ. That Christ promises to meet us at the table. We bring our doubts, we bring our fears. Remember Jesus Christ risen. Right out of scripture on our table. We come before the presence of the risen Christ. This is what dispels our fears. And finally, in verse 21, he breathes on them and says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Jesus calls us to be the sent ones. If we live in fear and doubt, we are are robbed of the mission that God has called us to in Jesus Christ. They have this little thing they do among uh, counselors where they'll ask somebody, I'll show them three pictures of a angry face, a disappointed face, and a smiley face. And I'll say, which one of these do you think represents God as he looks at your life? You know, most Christians circled the disappointed face. Uh, Maybe you feel that way tonight, that if God were to really look at your life, he might be angry or disappointed, but certainly not very happy. And because of that, you see, we forfeit the global mission he's called us to, because we can't get out of that. And one of the great things I love about uh, the way God puts us into his mission is that he puts us in places which sometimes are difficult, even fearful. And he shows that he's working, and his work is greater than all of our failings and problems or difficulties. Our daughter, Bethany, is a missionary in Tanzania, many of you know that, been there for 10 years now, and she's the only Christian in a, a people group of thousands of people, and they're, they're Muslims, and she lives in a little village called Elo, and uh, they speak a language called Alagwisa. And for the first time, because uh, her village is a small village, there's many villages around her in the same people group, but in her particular village, they'd never had a mosque there, and they decided they'd build a mosque Well, in that village, there's no access to equipment. There's no electricity or running water or anything. It all is done by hand. Very, very difficult process. In that culture, it's all collectivistic. Nobody does anything alone. It's all done together. And so our daughter realized that she was in a situation where she's going to have to help build a mosque, which goes against everything she believes in and all that she's there for, and they know that. But Bethany understood the culture, and so she went down to the river day after day, hauling rocks out of the river, calling her back, back, and backbreaking labor for weeks to build a mosque. And at one point, the Imam, that's the head of the mosque, he announced to the Muslims in their village, which is everybody else, said, you realize that this young Christian lady, who's a Christian, who doesn't believe anything that we believe, that she's worked harder on this mosque than any of you. And he said, you know what? This can't be just a mosque for Muslims because she's been working on this. So we're going to make this a religious center and let her come there and share what she believes there. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> you see, God can use almost anything to further his mission in the world if we submit it unto him. I want to close with that great line from Charles Wesley's, probably his greatest hymn, but maybe not known to all of you, but it's that hymn called, Come O Thou Traveler Unknown. Because if you have any doubts or you feel locked behind locked doors, or unable to really exercise your mission, would be one of our graduates here ready to go out, Now you're fearful or scared, or one of our guests here tonight that would say, you know, I'm not so sure, maybe God looks at me disappointed. I mean, I feel bound up in some way, unable to serve him. Well, Charles Wesley writes this hymn based on Genesis 32. of the, 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 It's often called the, uh, the Struggling Jacob, you know, Wrestling Jacob hymn. And by the way, it's a 14-verse it's a hymn. We will not be singing it tonight, but it's a great hymn. But throughout the hymn is this pulsating question as Jacob asks, What is thy name? What is your name? What is God's name in your life? He asked that question as he wrestles with God. Many of you wrestle with God a lot in these years. And you get to verse 10 and this is the response. Tis love, tis love. You died for me. I hear thy whisper in my heart. The morning breaks, the shadows flee. Pure universal love thou art. That's the Jesus Christ that stands before us tonight. That's the Jesus Christ, the universal love of God in Christ that died for us, who rose again, who extends his nail-pierced hands to us tonight to receive the Eucharist and be declared forgiven and absolved and sent forth in his name to serve him. Thanks be to God. Amen.